Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. End of the day. End of the day. It's all about practicing, practicing medicine, practicing medicine at the end of one. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. Good afternoon. Good evening, or whatever the time, the day it is for you. Welcome to the show. At the end of the day, a podcast about the lost art of medicine for those who are dissatisfied with healthcare's status quo. I'm Andy DeLeo, and as always, I've got my two co-conspirators with me. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Good evening. We are staying socially distant. I'd first like to just start off on a high note. Uh, So AJ and OS, first and foremost, did you have a good holiday uh, season? And did you have an opportunity to just take a little bit of a break, take a pause, and just have a little bit of downtime uh, for yourselves. The end of the year for our family is actually a time where we don't get to wind down too much because between Christmas and New Year, we have our son Teddy's birthday on the 28th and then our wedding anniversary on the 30th. And this year was our 10-year wedding anniversary, which we celebrated with most of the day without the children and taking three-hour-long naps in separate rooms. So it was wonderful. (laughs) It was actually very (laughs) enjoyable. And we both said, there's nothing really we can do, nothing. Let's just take a nap and sit in silence for a few hours, which was blissfully amazing this year. Yeah, so I had the opposite holiday break that you had. You know, you feel refreshed and rejuvenated to start off the new year. I, on the other hand, had four screaming kids uh, around the clock. No nanny, no babysitter, no daycare, no school. So it was quite uh, the fiasco at my house. How about you, Andy? How was your Christmas? Uh, so for me, uh, Christmas was um, was good. Uh, the holidays were were nice. Um, as both of you know, I you know did a job change right towards the end of the year. Um, so for the sort of first two weeks of December, it was crazy, insane drinking from the fire hose. Um, but then very quickly, I got to take, you know, sort of the that Christmas, New Year's time off just was a, a really good time for me to sort of pause, reflect, generate sort of my focus moving into the, the new year and, and what I want to accomplish. Uh, so it was a, a very good few days away. So with that, uh, you know, I I think both of you know me well enough that I tend to be uh, an introspective person. I tend to reflect. Um, and so the end of the year does, you know, kind of always bring that up for me. It It's a time for me to reflect on myself, reflect on what's happened in the, the year. And as we know, um, 2020 for all of us, just kind of flipped and turned everything upside down. Uh, so what I'd like to ask both of you is, you know, from your perspectives, what were maybe the the biggest challenges? And then along with that, what was maybe the one or two sort of big takeaways for for you as you reflect back on the, the year? So for, for my family, 2020 has been incredible. I mean, you know, 
unfortunately, obviously, there's been a lot of, of loss of lives. We're in a pandemic. Um, but, you know, personally, in my family, uh, you know, uh, my, my boys were born in 2020. Uh, so my family grew. You know, my wife took six months off out of the year. So we spent a lot of time together, which we typically don't get to do. Um, I've been working remotely, so I haven't been able to travel. So I've just been at home. My daughter's daycares and schools have been closed. So they've been home. So it's just been a really, really great opportunity for us to spend a lot of quality time with one another. Historically, you know, prior to 2020, we would look forward to going away on vacation just so we can spend quality time with one another. But this year has kind of forced us to really spend time together. And it's just been amazing, um, you know, considering the circumstances. But it definitely has given our family an opportunity to spend enormous amounts of time together, which at times has been painful, but at other times has been really enjoyable. And what about yourself, AJ? I think for myself, I have a lot of the same echoing as a West with the blessing of being able to spend a lot of time with family, a lot of time with the kids and my wife that I normally wouldn't have had been able to. And it's been amazing. I think I need to continually remind myself just how, I don't know if privileged is the right word or just special that is that I can work from home, still make a living. My wife and I can still run our businesses and homeschool and not completely lose our minds. And when we were having our 10 year anniversary, I know that my wife wasn't, you know, quote unquote, feeling it. You know, it's it's been a rough year in a lot of ways uh, with communication, with the kids. You know, we're just both, I think, as you guys might feel, we're just mentally exhausted. And I looked at her and I said, listen, we have made it through probably one of the roughest years of our lives we'll have to experience, hopefully. If we can make it through this, then I think we can make it through anything. And I'm very optimistic because of that, because we we've survived as a family as a couple as parents um adapting continual adaptation to changes in life that we we don't really need to embrace or have had to embrace these types of changes so dramatically and at so such a high speed and you know i think both of you sort of touch on a a couple of things that really resonate and coordinate i guess uh with my own sort of personal reflections. The first one is, you know, OS, you kind of mentioned about the macro. This year, sort of at a a macro level, it has been a great year of change. Uh, There's been a lot of challenges. Uh, And with those challenges and that change, there's been a tremendous loss of life. And I think sometimes, it's difficult for many of us sort of in the micro to understand or to feel that loss of life. And so I think as, you know, I kind of focus on medicine, the me in medicine, physicians, and everyone that works underneath that umbrella of medicine, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that there is a lot of mental burnout. There's a lot of mental drainage. There's just been a lot that has been expected of those people, of all of us that work inside of the world of medicine. 
not only putting ourselves at risk, putting our families at risk, but also just the overwhelming burden in the loss of life. And so I think for me, that's sort of one thing at just a, a macro level. I think, you know, a little bit more going on the micro level to, to both you and AJ, uh, from a micro perspective, I'm someone that has always embraced change in, and to me, this year has been really interesting because it's forced us to what you uh, so eloquently captured, AJ, was uh, the adaptability and adaptation in our need to be able to do that very quickly and on the fly in, and how do we go from in-person meetings of, you know, 200, 2,000, 5,000, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to now doing this in a virtual setting and how do you connect and, and how do you build sort of that rapport with people in a digital environment? How do you leverage new digital tools? Uh, how do we sort of train and work and stay connected? So for me, it's it's been a very interesting year where I've learned a lot about team dynamics. I've learned a lot about people. I've learned a lot about myself and just how to work in sort of this this new world that that we're all faced with. In addition to that, this kind of, you know, ties it all back together. The one thing over the holiday break, I personally uh, was hit with a tragic loss. Um, a friend of the family had a son who was 24 years old and the evening of Christmas was killed in a car accident. And for me, what that helped to sort of reframe is that life is precious. Life is fleeting. Literally like that in the, the snap of a finger, life as we know it can be taken away. And so... You know, you both know I've I've talked about this before about, you know, making moments that matter and living each moment to, to the fullest extent. But it, again, was another sort of pause and reminder to myself that for me, the year 2020, that's really what it's about. It's about realizing, understanding, being aware and truly being present in every single moment that we have with one another because we never know when it may be our last. And uh, just on a, a personal note, I want to thank both, you know, AJ and OS because I know personally I am not an easy person to work with. I know my calendar is all over the place and the both of you have been extremely patient. You've been extremely understanding, but more importantly, you've really given me a gift and it's the gift to be able to pause during my week to have a conversation with the both of you about something that's top of mind something that is important to any of the three of us uh, themes or topics that we're seeing in the news things that resonate with us and not only do we get to talk about that and, you know, to, to a point, have a, a therapy session on it, but it allows me to just disconnect from everything else and just talk to my friends, to get your opinions, 
to see the world through your lens and with your context. And so for me, I just wanted to to make sure that I took the moment today on this episode and to just say thank you. Thank you to the both of you for giving me that gift in 2020. And as I look into the year sort of moving forward, that I continue to to have this gift with the both of you. Andy, I think the feelings are mutual. I mean, I think we're all looking for a break to get out of our regular, you know, nine to five routine of constantly doing the same thing and just have a moment to reflect, to take a perspective look on what's happening within the economy, the world around us, in our individual personal lives collectively, and to be able to just talk through certain aspects. So I think the feeling is mutual. Thanks goes to you and AJ as well. Uh, I know I'm very grateful to be a part of this or this team and to jump on and you know record podcasts on a weekly basis. So thank you to both of you as well. Yeah, you guys, this is really something special. And even though there's no affiliation for work between us, that's why I think we need to keep going because of the joy that we find in this time. Even though I always sound like a brooding old guy, I think that the kinship here is what what drives me to keep coming back. And I gained so much from you too as well. So thank you. So now that... You know, we've sort of context the the year in review and kind of looking in the rearview mirror as we're continuing to drive into 2021. I know for me, I've heard a lot of people, you know, there's been a popular meme of, you know, did, you know, 2020, did it win? Has it won? Sort of that play on, you know, the 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 one in 2021. So I guess the the question that I have for each of you is, as you look forward, what are the one, two, or more things uh, that the both of you are looking forward to in the coming year? That's a really good question. I think for the coming year, you know, a lot of people have been talking about looking at this year as a return to normal, and I am looking forward to it not returning to normal. I think normal is just a setting on your dishwasher. And I think that what we have learned in 2020, there's a lot of great positive things culturally that we can take away from it. And I think there's going to be a lot of good opportunities for people in the coming year. One is that education is not bound to a classroom, a physical classroom. Two, neither is work. And three, I think one thing that's very optimistic is when we are able to meet face-to-face again, I think that those bonds will be stronger and we will not take for granted the communities that we have around us. I hope that this has a lasting effect to draw us to be more community-based in real life than just online 24-7. And I, that's what I'm very optimistic about is just being able to be part of a community again being in a group of people, sharing sharing an experience with others. That's one of the things that I miss so very much. Yeah, I would second that, AJ. You know, I think for us as adults, it's easy to understand what's going on around us, um, what we're required to do, and why we're doing what we are doing. You know, wearing masks, staying socially distanced. I think the biggest challenge has really been on, on the kids. And I know my kids, um, you know, are really struggling with it as to why they can't see their cousins who they're so used to seeing, you know, on a weekly by weekly basis. 
Um, they're not able to go play outdoors or go play indoors. My daughter loves gymnastics, and we used to take her on a weekly basis. She can no longer do that. Um, she liked. She had a regular routine of going swimming. She can't do that now. You know, there's. It's just really this 2020 has taken a toll on the children. I think the most, and I'm hopeful that as the vaccine rollout occurs, the transition occurs, um, you know, things start getting better we are able to return to some semblance of normalcy, whatever that may mean going forward. But it would be nice to give these opportunities back to the children to have a youth, a childhood. You know, when we were kids, we would go play outside, play with friends. That's all we cared about. And now these kids are just kind of limited to, all right, go on FaceTime and talk to your cousin or go talk to your friend on FaceTime or, you know, sit on a computer and talk to your teacher. Um, it's really shaped the way our educational system has, is being brought up now. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I know just education in totality, there was a perfect system and that perfect system is now broken. Uh, and so the question becomes is, you know, as the vaccines rolled out and as, you know, sort of the year progresses and we kind of move into the next school year after this one gets passed, um, is it going to be an opportunity for our education system to sort of redesign itself? Or is there going to be a hope that we're going to kind of fall back into the the perfect system that was and i think for me that's well it sure wasn't perfect well it depends i mean if you think about the fact of you've got an industrialized system that was set up that was based on parents going to work it's a place for your kids to go and it's trying to get them prepared to be the next future generation of workers it was a perfect system now granted well that's very true there's issues with sort of the output of it, but just from that perspective, it was a perfect system. This has now disrupted, and the question becomes is, you know, will there be a redesign or or not? Um, and I think that's left for other people outside of my expertise to, to figure out. If we value education, I, I think we need to rethink education systematically. And hopefully this has given parents a much deeper appreciation for what teachers have to do. And I think for most parents that I talk to in my circle of influence and, and peer group, it very much has. And I think that hopefully we will be able to fund our education system and fund our teachers in a way that reflects how important education should be. And that's that. That that's all I got. I I just think that if we if we put our money where our mouth is, and after this year, the appreciation we have for teachers, and all of the work they do, and being able to not only hand like the one or two or three kids that we all have at home that we're homeschooling or trying to teach, and help teach, um, you know, twenty kids in a room at once for seven to eight hours a day. I mean, that is that is a very worthwhile endeavor to pay them what they're worth. And I think they're worth a lot more than what they're getting paid right now. I would second that. Yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no question that any parent that is at home or has been at home working remotely and having to deal with taking care of their children, feed them, educate them, 
you know, and entertain them while they're working, I think they can agree that our teachers that are taking care and educating our children are way undervalued and underpaid. Very well said, OS. Uh, if you guys would give me the latitude, I'm going to slightly shift off of education and maybe kind of pivot a little bit back more into medicine. I think for me personally, if I look at the, the year ahead and the road to come, uh, I think there's a couple of, of things in the last couple of weeks that I don't know if they're aha moments, but they're again moments that make me question and sort of pause to, to reflect on things. So I'm going to kind of state it and maybe get some thoughts or, or feedback from, from the both of you. The first one is, is again, we've been in this pandemic, physicians, others, whether nurses, clerical workers, anyone that works inside of medicine um, has been sort of impacted at the, the front line. And so the look ahead that I have is, is that even as the vaccine rolls out and, you know, sort of the most at risk get vaccinated, there's still going to be an impact. And the question is, is that sort of not only mental health, but just the emotional well-being of physicians and others working inside of medicine, what are we going to do for them? How are we going to address that? That's kind of my, my first thing. And then the second thing that coincides with that is really about the N of one. We know that whether it's in the world before the pandemic or the world in the pandemic or the world in the future, that there is still a need and there is still a desire that I, Andy, want to be treated as I, Andy. I don't want to be treated as a population of people that may have similarities to me. And I would argue that AJ, you probably feel the same way. Wes, you probably feel the same way as well. And so if that's the case, then what does that sort of mean? And what are some of the small things that we can start doing today to continue down that road and to potentially realize more of that in the year ahead? So I'll pause and sort of ask for both of your feedback. So I, I agree the, you know, the healthcare workers have been overrun the amount of turmoil that they have seen within these hospitals with patients dying every single day, not being able to talk to their families, holding up iPads um, in their last moment so that they can say goodbye to their loved ones. I mean, it's just been, it's been an emotional train wreck. And my wife, who's a physician, is seeing the economy in shambles and seeing what's happening with stimulus checks and everyone that, you know, Again, most people need it, so I agree that they should get it. But what are we doing financially, psychologically, emotionally to help the frontline workers? I don't think that we're doing much. I mean, the general population of healthcare workers that are treating these patients don't even qualify for the majority of the stimulus payments. 
what are we doing for them? Uh, you know, that's kind of her rant that, that she's always been saying, you know, we're going through this. What, what, what is the government going to do to help us? And I think, Andy, you're, you're right. We talk about each of us and treating each patient at the end of one. But what about the provider? You know, as a country, what are we doing to ensure that more people want to get into this field, that they want to be on the front lines, that they do want to go to education, get trained, become a physician? And I, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that talked about the Fauci effect, meaning that a residency program that would never be able to fill all the seats, which was infectious diseases, was now seeing an insurgent of people wanting to take on that role, go into that into that public service based on what they've seen on, on TV with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, and how do we ensure that we're continuing to provide healthcare workers um, and people in medicine to help take care of our aging population? Oh, Wes, you make some really good points. One point you brought up I think is really great is the mental health of healthcare workers. And I do know that I believe it was Cleveland Clinic who created this special code for helping prevent physician burnout. One of the things that I was thinking of while you were talking was, why can't we create some type of on-call mental health program, app, online service, whatever you want to call it, that would allow physicians free access to mental health help when needed because who can they talk to through this time and place where is their support group where is their mental health outlet they're working so much so many hours and then they go home and much like your wife probably experiences is yeah great i know it was a rough day i'm super sorry to hear that but we have newborn twins and other two other kids that need help and they don't have the outlets that they need to deal with what they're going through. I think that's the biggest thing I've, I've seen from an outside perspective that they're not even given the time to process what's going on or what's happening or the stress that they're going through that I think we're going to have a lot of PTSD type situations that will have a very long-term effect in healthcare and and taking care of the healers. You want to hear sort of something that's um I I don't want to swear so it's it's kind of messed up there but uh, screw it. Uh but you want to hear something that's just like plain and simple just up. So think of this. So think of yourself as being a radiologist. So you're sitting in a room, you're remote, you're not with your colleagues, and you're on a shift for nine hours. And let's say that shift begins at two in the afternoon and you're working until 11 p.m. straight. 90% of what you see during that nine-hour shift is COVID. You're seeing COVID x-rays, you're seeing COVID CTs, you're seeing people that are coming to our ERs that that's all it is. It's one traumatic story after another. And so when you get done with that shift, it's late at night, your family is probably already in bed, 
And if you turn to your left or your right and you need someone to talk to, the next thing that goes through your mind is I don't know if I can talk about this with anyone else because it could be a threat to my ability to practice if somehow I get labeled or stigmatized that I have a mental health disorder. How messed up is that in today's world? That is extremely messed up that there's not even the ability to acknowledge that you need help. In the, in the last eight months, I've had so many conversations and so many text messages from friends that happen to be radiologists. And, and this is no exaggeration. This is what they are living on a daily basis. You know, everything that they are reading and they are reading new patient exams, you know, every three to five minutes. And it's COVID after COVID after COVID after COVID. And when they're looking at the patient stories and the patient histories and, and whatnot, that all of these people are being hit with COVID during this pandemic. And so it's one thing for the patients and I'm all about sort of highlighting and remembering those stories. But what I think is really getting lost in some of the, the stories that we see in the media is the fact that we've got frontline workers that remain faceless to the majority of healthcare in radiologists. And this is all that they're seeing. And when they get done with their shifts, they're under this sort of guise or this pressure that I can't say anything. I can't talk to anyone about this because if I do, there's a potential that it's going to impact my ability to make my livelihood. And I think that's, that's a really messed up situation that in the year ahead, I would love to see us to sort of figure out, like, how do we make it mainstream? How do we be able to talk about this, you know, openly? How do we find resources that aren't disadvantageous or, you know, put the the physician in a situation that is is threatening uh, to their livelihood? I just I I think that's kind of one of my big passions right now is to elevate this and create awareness about it because it's something that is detrimental to everyone that's practicing within medicine. That just sounds like more how we need a network of volunteer mental health professionals to just have some type of 411 line that they can call to just talk to somebody who's a professional anonymously and without recourse to at least just start the process making making this public and accessible we can you know build campaigns and we can do posters and we can have celebrities take a stand against mental health stigma but ultimately it's a cultural thing that will take it's going to take time and the immediacy of the need i think that you're pointing out needs to be addressed because taking down the stigma of mental health has taken decades and we're just starting to see some positive motion about that as a as a culture um but when you talk about that those niche areas of people who work in healthcare and like you said could potentially impact their livelihood then that is such an ingrained 
way behind the curve of cultural movement type of industry that it's going to take a long time and a lot of work. So I don't know that you guys know this, but um, as I was growing up in college, I used to be an EMT, emergency medical technician. You know, you'd go on some calls and you see some very traumatic things, cars flipped over, um, you know, gunshot wounds, um, people having heart attacks. And then you're over there doing CPR and you see them, you know, passing away in front of you. And it's traumatic as a 20 year old, 21 year old, you know, some 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 uh, individuals like 18, 17 years old. So it's traumatic that you're exposed to this kind of stuff on a voluntary organization they provide the opportunity for you to get psychological help if something like this arises they have something known as a debriefing after every traumatic call where you would sit down with your team and talk about the events that that transpired what could have been done differently what you know what could we do just kind of talking through talking through your emotions and being able to talk through that stuff and if you still needed additional help, this organization provided you with resources to seek professional help. If there's voluntary ambulance organizations that are providing this, how are we not providing this for healthcare workers with such large organizations within hospitals? Why is there a negative stigma around seeking help for traumatic events? I, I, we, Andy, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We need to figure out a way to break that stigma. So do you think that there's also, I don't want to say a, a complex of some sort, but, you know, OS, you and I, we've worked with many physicians and sometimes because of what physicians have to go through in order to become a physician in practice, um, sometimes there's sort of this expectation that they're more than human that you know they sort of have mastered this art of just being able to push through and and drudge through and and sometimes we forget that physicians are are human that they have emotions that they are impacted by by loss by what they see by what they hear by the news that they have to tell patients and their family members in dealing with that sort of emotional turmoil, the sort of heaviness that goes along with that. Do you think that that's, you know, there's, there's sort of a cultural aspect to it, but that there's also kind of this sort of own individual sort of self-imposed expectation that physicians also put on themselves as well? I, I think generally people do see physicians as superheroes you know they don't get sick they know everything they know exactly what to do what to say at the right time um, and that's because they've lived it they've they've trained they take care of, of themselves and that is generally what people around them feel i know i did when i when i worked with some of the, some physicians that i worked with you know that i think that they are superhumans and that's also leading to the fact that they don't want to let their teams or the individuals around them down that that plays into their mindset that you know i want to make sure 
I'm there. I don't want to let anyone down. If I go out for a day, what's going to happen to the rest of my team? I need to be there. I know my wife struggles with it. I know uh, other physicians that I've worked with struggle with the same thing. Never call out. Never be late. Go to work whether you're sick or not. Whether you're feeling good or not, don't take any time off. I mean, there is that connotation of always, of that expectation of always being there. I don't, I'm not. I'm not so much of an inside baseball in this in this conversation as you guys are. But I just from from what I've experienced, I just I just go back to my main main point. I just think that accessible mental health help throughout all of this is a, a good starting block. And where we go from there, I have no idea. I don't know the systems in place and the rules and how everything works. But I just think there is. As we're talking in this conversation, it's just so easy to to say I've got the perfect idea, but who knows what'll work? Because I think each hospital system has its own culture and and what'll work. And what what has worked in the past? Has there been good examples of places dealing with similar things in the past where they had a good things put together? I don't have an answer for that. I think I think that would actually be a really good topic for maybe a subsequent episode that maybe we do some research, maybe we can find someone and and pull them in from an organization to to talk about. Um, maybe this is something, you know, maybe Dr. Matt Keener with Blackbird Health, maybe this might be a an interesting topic uh, to to pull him in. I, I mean, I think it starts with the conversation, right? So you have the conversation and whoever's listening here, wherever you work, you know, whoever's on your team, at least start with the conversation. Whether you've got nurses, you've got doctors, you've got therapists, whomever is on your team within your department, just say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling with all this? Is there, do you want to talk? And it doesn't have to be professional. It doesn't have to be, you know, you have to go out and find a psychiatrist. Why can't departments just take 10 minutes out of their week to just say, hey, how's everyone doing? I think that's where it starts, and then it grows from there. And even just taking 10 minutes out of your day to just check up on someone, I think goes a long way, a lot further than you would imagine. And Wes, I think that's a, a really good point because that, you know, I I asked sort of two questions, and, and the other part of that question happens to be around sort of, you know, care at the, the end of one. And the reason why I bring this up is I know I was pulled into a couple of discussions on social media via Twitter. And one of the things that I continue to hear in some of these online discussions is there needs to be a grassroots effort. There needs to be a change. Uh, You know, we need to sort of you know, fight against the man and go against healthcare and yada, yada, yada. But what I find interesting in all of these conversations is that people are highlighting the same thing. They're speaking the same words. They're, they're talking about the same topics. And it seems or appears to me that either no progress is made or that the progress that's made is the same progress that we've been making or repeating for the last, I don't know, 10 years or more. I guess that's where my like little tweak is for 2021 in the people around me that I work with and I speak with is that in order to change the world, we need 
to change the words that we use. So you both know that I do everything in my power not to use the word healthcare. I talk in terms of medicine. Uh, I don't like to use the word doctor or provider. I like to use the word physician. And so I guess my my question or, or where I'm trying to go with this is, is that do you guys see if there's beauty in trying to change the world, whether it's post-COVID or during COVID with mental health or whatever the topic may be, that there is some genius in ensuring that we're using the right words to build a different world that leads to sort of that outcome that each and every single one of us wants. What what are your thoughts on that? That I can speak to very, very easily because with a lot of the work that I do, especially on the marketing side, words have power and the type of words we use are not taken lightly when working with clients. So I think it's very important to choose the right words to use, especially like you said, when you're trying to look further into the future, how do we, what's the future that we want to use? Let's use those words. Um, I think it's very interesting. And I was just listening to somebody talk about the interesting use of the word users with technology in the last couple of decades. We never used to be called users. We were customers. But once some of these online tech giants started coming around, they didn't want to say customers because we weren't paying for a service and we were the product. So they used a new term user and that stuck. And I think that was a very important thing. And these words can sometimes be used in a positive way to affect change, like what you're talking about, or they can be used negatively to hide things. And I think using the words for good is the best way to go and to use our phrases and what we say helps to shape a conversation just like when we talk about politically speaking with the with the recent capital storming that happened two days ago you know a lot of people that were attending those types of protests would say socialism communism hand in hand and they've just become synonymous with progressive change and that is all by design that we use words to fearmonger so if we can use words to fearmonger then i think we can use words to inspire change and hope i think you know andy one of the things that your your biggest focus is always on the end of one you know treat every patient at the end of one but i think we have to treat each other at the end of one irrespective of whether you are and I know you love, you hate this word, a healthcare worker. You're in the, you know, the, you practice the art of medicine. You're a physician, you're a doctor. I think, I think all that goes out the window. Um, I agree, AJ, you know, words matter, yes. But I think emotional character and, you know, having feelings towards one another and having empathy and care for one another goes along a lot further. So I completely agree with you, Wes. And to that point, I'm willing to bet that those that take the time to listen, to understand, to speak from the heart, to have empathy and compassion for the person that they're interacting with, I'm willing to bet that the 
the the words that they use are different than those individuals that do not take the time to do that. I would agree with you. And I guess my my final thought with this is is that over the course of the last year and sort of the the first <laughs> unfortunate few days of the new year what I've also been reminded about is again sort of this play or the semantics that you know words matter and I was reminded of a conversation that occurred five years ago when I was in London working on a project with a really close person um, in my life, uh, Jean-Marc. And uh, we had spent all day sort of doing this this design project. And the next day, uh, we were supposed to wear the color orange. And we were doing that because we wanted to celebrate the LGBTQ sort of initiative within the organization that that we were working at and when i spoke to jean marc about it and i asked him i was like hey i was like you know we got these great t-shirts are you gonna wear it tomorrow and and whatnot and he said the most profound thing to me he stopped me and he said andy my friend i'm not going to wear this shirt he's like not because i don't believe and support it he's like but but what i believe is is the more labels we put on people, the further away it takes us from remembering that what connects all of us is that we're human. And he's like, that is the fundamental problem that I see in the world. And I was reminded of that conversation over the course of the last, you know, several weeks because of everything that's going on here in the US. And it reminds me to, I think, the point that both AJ, you've made, as well as a West, the, the point that you just articulated, is that we need to approach each other as we are human. And yes, there are certain things, whether it's the color of our skin, it's the religion that we practice, it's the way that we identify in our sexual orientation. It, it's a plethora of different things that could potentially silo us or segregate us. But if we fundamentally remember that we are all human, that we all have feelings, that we all want to see, that we all want to be heard, and that we all want to be connected, that if we start there and lead with that, that maybe, just maybe, we can have that profound connection. And that, just doing that, could truly drive and accelerate our ability to care, to love, and to deliver medicine at the end of one. My commitment to myself is that I'm going to, again, double down on my stoicism. And I think one of the, the good ways to think about this is through the beginning of the serenity prayer, which is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think it's that difference of knowing that the words that I use build a world that I see and I want, and that I'm going to make sure that whether it's AJ, OS, 
or anyone that I encounter on a daily basis, that I first see you as a human, I try to understand the lens that you see the world in and that I do my best to be present in the moment and to care at the end of one. I like it. Well, I think I think that's a good place to to wrap this looking forward to 2021 episode. So I would just say I'm AJ Montpetit and you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at AJ Montpetit. I'm Awes Mirza and you can find me on Twitter at Awes F Mirza. And as always, I'm Andy DeLeo, better known as The Cancer Geek, and you can find me uh, as Cancer Geek on all the socials. And remember, at the end of the day, medicine is always delivered at the end of one. Mm-hmm.